Hi, I'm the reason God made Oklahoma, Lee Cato. And I found Richard Simmons, and he's living inside my heart, Jeff Moles. And this is Breaking Church. It's a podcast that breaks down the walls of the church and builds up the body of Christ. On this episode of Breaking Church, we are going to be talking about yet another miracle story in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus walks on the water, and Peter does too, kinda. So in the breakdown, I, Lee, will lead us in an exploration of this story. Is that who you are? Are you Lee? Yes, oh. I am Lee. I, I'm Jeff. the reason God made Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, Lee. that was great. That was, it's a song. Google it. Um, and in Breaking Bread today, we're going to sit down with David Bodenhammer, who is going to be sharing his thoughts on the intersection of fear and faith. And in All Hell Breaks Loose, we will talk about how we are called to act even when we are afraid. Right, well, we've established who we are. Yes. We've established what we're going to talk about. So yes. let's do it. Let's, let's do get it. get to the scripture. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. All right, Lee, what were your first impressions of that? Well, every time I hear the story, I always I always think about the the cartoon version of this story for some reason. I remember Peter was dressed in blue and Jesus what was a, in a his brown toga looking outfit. Of course. Reddish brown hair mm-hmm. and he was coming toward the boat with like a glow around him. You ever seen those cartoons? I mean I'm sure I did. I think they showed us to um I think they showed us in Sunday school. Yeah. I just always think about that when I hear this story. But I also like that they just jumped to the fact that he was a ghost. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty great to hear, it's a ghost! I mean, is yeah. there anywhere in the Bible that, else in the Bible that people are screaming, it's a ghost, it's a ghost? I mean, maybe I they, so. they are. Maybe they should. Maybe they should. Because there are some times when people came back to life and where dead mm-hmm. people were walking around, but... They did. They should probably should have yelled that. But, yeah. What is your what is your first impression, Jeff? Mine also involved an animated feature. <laughs> this one, you can probably guess what it is because I've been watching it a lot. 
in recent times. Moana. Oh, I don't yes. know if you Moana. know Moana. Moana, yes. She's on Netflix, and I've become a fan. It is. Great. Great but movie. She, I mean, it's the tale, as I've told it, it's the tale of her delivering her, delivering her people, including parting the seas and everything, but but the water keeps just, like, surrounding her and yeah. hoisting her up. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like, it's like walking on water. Yeah, she does. And all the people, all her people on the island were just living in fear and wanting to stay in their own comfortable place. And even even though that wasn't working, and Moana walked on that water. She got on that water. She was a wayfinder. Yeah, she was. She showed them the way. She showed them the way. And they sang some and, great songs. And she made those people get back on those boats. Yeah. They became voyagers again. Yeah. And, and it's a found, great story. And found their lives. Yeah. And I feel like that, I think, People would get more into the Bible if maybe that story was in there. Yes, the story of Moana. Now the gospel. <laughs> the book. The gospel, the gospel of, of Moana. Moana. That would I would get into that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Don't y'all don't send us hate mail. Away, away. <laughs> y'all don't send us hate mail. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know there's not going to be a gospel of Moana. We know the Bible's a done deal. Well, yeah, I guess we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We know that. <laughs> anyway, but that was my first impression. You shouldn't have asked me yeah. if you didn't want to know the answer. That's true. Yeah. It is. That's a great one. That's All right. One. Are we ready to, to get serious and break this down? Yes. All right. Let's do it. So the story we read in this episode of Breaking Church, it is picking up off where we left last week, and that was the feeding of the thousands. And so now... Jesus is finally getting to be by himself. Last week we talked about Jesus grieving about the loss of John the Baptist. And so now Jesus finally gets to go. He sends the disciples away to get into a boat. And they go ahead on the other side of the lake. And he dismisses the crowd. And so he's finally by himself where he can go up to the mountain and to pray and to grieve for his friend, John. If I was him, I'd be like, praise myself because I these people have been annoying me. Yes. So he was finally alone. But, and there's a lot of happens in this. Very few verses, but it is jam-packed full of things. There is a storm, and the disciples are on this boat, and they're big waves, and they are a, a long way away from the land. And they are really scared. And so, I mean, obviously you would be. I've never been in a boat during a storm, but I can only imagine how scary it was, especially back then. One time I spent the night on a covered bridge in a storm. Where? At Fowler Park in Indiana. When sixth grade. <laughs> and it was really scary, I'm just telling you. It was a really bad thunderstorm. It was, really really was, was kind of really like scary. that, yeah. But maybe that was what it was like. Yeah. I could see the water yeah. below me through the cracks. But yeah, it was, obviously it was really scary. And so Jesus is coming to his disciples early in the morning, but this storm is going on. And they think he is a ghost because he is walking on this water. And some, I've heard it said, and I guess this is from... I don't know, really know who it was from, but that maybe one of the reasons why they thought it was a ghost is because maybe they thought they were dead 
and they were seeing stuff or because the storm was so bad that they didn't survive it and they were seeing a ghost. But it wasn't a ghost. It was Jesus walking on water and I think that's one of the one of the most common things we put Jesus with is Jesus walking on water. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what my grandma used to say. She's like, if anything comes out of this water, we used to have a pond and it was full of water moccasins. And she used to say, if ah. a water moccasin would come, I'm going to be like Jesus walking on water out of this out of this pond. Yeah. I always heard it said in the context of like somebody who was a little too full of themselves or somebody that people treated in a very like reverent sort of way. People would be like... Oh, well, he just thinks he walks on water, doesn't he? Like that. I don't know if I've ever heard it. I don't think I've ever heard of it like that. Well, don't you just think <laughs> you walk on water? <laughs> but anyway, Jesus is walking on water. And he says to Peter, or the disciples, he says, do not be afraid. It is me. And Peter, of course, says, Lord, if it's you... Order me to come into the water with you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he is walking on water too. Towards Jesus. But with a strong wind, uh, Peter is frightened, and he begins to sink. Which is probably the most important part of this story. It's where... We get the themes of faith and fear and all of these things that kind of bubble up with this story comes in just this moment when Peter gets out of this boat and starts to walk on water and sees these waves and these winds and gets scared. I guess you could say he sank like a rock. He did. Get it? It's a Peter joke. Petra? Rock. Oh, yeah. On this rock, I will build my church. Get it? I get it. <laughs> I can hook up myself. Did you? Uh-huh. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm sure it's written down somewhere. Oh, whatever. But Peter begins to sink. And like I said, it, this is the place where these themes of faith and fear come into being. And then he shouts, Lord, rescue me. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him. And says those famous words, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you begin to have doubts? And so I think this story, for one, it shows us that we can be very simple and say we should have faith in Jesus. But I think that's... I feel like that's problematic in some ways because we can say, oh, there's hungry people in the world. Oh, let's just have faith that it'll all get better. Mm. Or people are dying of all these diseases. Oh, we should just have faith and it'll all get better. Or we should have enough faith to where we'll get better. Or it's like that prosperity gospel. Or we should have enough faith so we can have this and this and this so we can walk on water like Jesus did. But I think the story is... A little more nuanced than that in, in that the focus is not often on Peter, but it's on Jesus doing this miraculous thing like walking on water 
and pulling Peter back up. But I think we identify as Peter in that we are very hesitant to make that that step toward what the kingdom or what Jesus is telling us to do. Because Peter makes the step. Peter gets out of the boat and goes into a very chaotic situation in this sea. And I think that it's representative of humanity's lack to enter into something of the unknown, but it's also entering into something that is not what we're used to or what is what is risky or what is different than what our lives and what our safety or what we feel that we are safe in. It, we get out of our comfort zones and we get out of our, we just get out of our normalcy, I think. Um, this story is a story about risk. I mean, the man gets out and steps onto a storm, steps into a storm. And of course, he's frightened like anybody would be. And I think that's also, in some ways, it's it's kind of assuring in some senses because it is hard and we do falter and we do sink in some ways, but it's also assuring in the fact that we do believe in a God that does help us, but we have to make the effort. Like Jesus didn't pull him off the boat. Peter got off of the boat himself and made that and made that step. And I think it was it's even more than just, you know, getting outside of a comfort zone. It's actually stepping into Yeah grave danger yeah stepping in you know stepping into something that could very easily kill you mm-hmm. um so i think that's it's just a very strong image of of that yeah that step yeah it's very it's it's like it's the story of taking a risk mm-hmm. and for this story to be so popular and for so many people to know it i mean you can Pretty much everybody, every small child, this is one of the first stories they ever read in Sunday school. But it's almost always read as, we just have to have faith in Jesus and everything will be okay. Like, Jesus will help us. And that's true. But there's an action step to that in saying that being a disciple of Jesus is risky and it's jumping into dangerous situations that you may or may not come out of, but it's knowing that God is in those places as well, which I think this story also brings to light is that God is in this chaotic Mm -hmm. world that we not all the time have our footing or can really understand. So... I think there's more to this story than just have a little faith in Jesus. I think we have to be a little more active and a little more, not even, I don't, I wouldn't even say adventurous, but I would say acknowledge the fact that discipleship is risky and dangerous. Breaking bread.
On our Breaking Bread segment today, I'm sitting down with David Bodenhammer, who is a good friend of mine. We have been co-workers at the Room in the Inn in Nashville for almost nine years now. Uh, David is somebody who has devoted a lot of his life to serving people who are in recovery, to supporting people who are uh, in hard times. He's organized an annual fundraising event where he's combined his love for riding a motorcycle with uh, raising money for people who are without housing. David's also a faithful member of 15th Avenue Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and he is a pretty proud grandfather. So I'm glad to be with you here today, David. All right, glad you have me. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about your story, tell us a little bit about your life, and then also think about the role that faith and fear have played for you or in ways that you have seen it, that, that intersection between faith and fear uh, play out in the lives of others around you. First of all, I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. My dad was a Metro police officer for 37 years, a very decorated officer, very proud to, to be his son. However, in my adult life, I decided to do some things that were not of um, what my dad and mom had told me to do or taught me to do, and it kind of got me in a little trouble. And uh, to, to think even today that uh, no matter who your parents are, children can make bad decisions. And uh, we have witnessed that here in the last week with our own mayor. So uh, uh, I pray for her and I know it has to be devastating, but um, thanks be to God that I was able to come out of the addiction that I found myself in. And, and because of that, I've been able to turn into the man that I think my parents would want me to be at this point. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so where, so you, uh, you have a very interesting story, and I have to say, when you talk about um, sort of your past life, and I've heard you talk about this for years, I can't even imagine you being anything other than who you are now. This is a person that you can always depend on, a person who just about always does the right thing. Um, but where, where have you found in your story times where fear has? really been an obstacle for you, and how did you overcome some of those things? <clears throat> well, fear is, to me, something that plagues everyone at some point, but I think early on the fear that I had was that I wouldn't live up to the expectations that other people had set on me when I was younger because of some of the successes my dad had, and I didn't think that I was uh, capable to come up to something like that. And it ended up uh, uh, partially fear of failure and fear of success. You know, there, you know, uh, there are people that uh, I deal with now that are afraid of succeeding because they don't feel like they deserve to succeed. And I, I, I think I suffer from that same thing for a while. Now, uh, fear has kind of taken the back seat because um, even like the scripture you were talking about that you were referencing about uh, Jesus walking on the water, you know, you got to understand that he called Peter out of the boat uh, uh, to walk with him. And as long as Peter was looking at Jesus, Peter didn't start sinking. But when Peter started looking at the storm around him, it's when he started sinking. So mm -hmm. a lot of times if we look at the obstacles that's in front of us that seem to be difficult, if we look at those things, we might sink. And we have a great 
success rated feeling when we look at the obstacles instead of looking to who has brought us out to uh, go on this journey that you're on. You have to look at Jesus, you have to look at the creator and, and know that if he brought you through all of this other stuff, that the stuff you're looking at right now is not that difficult, mm -hmm. really, so. Yeah. That whole idea you talk about of be feeling like you don't deserve to be successful, mm -hmm. t talk more about that, because I think that's a, that's, that's a deep-seated fear in a lot of us that we don't deserve anything better than what we have. Well, I, I, I like to break things down to the lowest common denominator, as my teacher taught me in the third grade, and that is that I know everything about me, and I know everything I've done. And sometimes we've done some things and we've gotten away with it, but we still know we did it. So based on that, sometimes we feel like we don't deserve to be blessed in some situations or deserve to succeed because we know what we've done. And that's where grace comes in. And if we can get past that and we can receive the grace that's been given us to know that, that whatever we receive, we don't deserve it anyway. But we hold ourselves to a higher standard than even God does because it's easy to accept God's forgiveness, but it's harder to forgive yourself. And I found it difficult to forgive myself because I knew everything. And of course, uh, other people don't know everything about me. They see me and they don't know some of the stuff I've been through. They don't know some of the the, the, the hardships and pains I've had. And, and just because I look this way, they think I should be able to do this. But then the, the only person who really holds me back a lot of time is me, uh, myself. Mm -hmm. So, uh, there's a fear there, and uh, the great thing that I've learned and it applied to my life is to use the mistakes that I've made in the past to help somebody else that I see is in the same spot. That's, that, that's, that, that helps me a lot. Uh, being here uh, uh, at Rumini Inn allows me to see myself every day uh, with the guys and the ladies that I deal with. So. Um, I, I don't get too big for my britches, <laughs> and I stay humble, and I know that it's by the grace of God that, that I'm at the point in my life that I'm in now. So I try to take away that fear, although, hey, I'm a human, and sometimes a little fear will come up, and, but I'm, I'm easily to, to kind of push it down because I know that it was God that brought me out of everything I've been in. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most important thing that we can do as a society or as a church or just as friends with one another to lift one another up out of that fear of to let one another know that we do deserve something better and that we do that we can be faithful people well I think one of the the greatest things I've learned is to understand that Jesus died for everybody. Of course, the scripture says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So that means he died for everyone. And uh, it's not left up to us to decide whom God is to bless because favor is not fair and grace is, may seem like it's unfair because we look at one person, we wonder, why is he getting blessed like that when we know some things about him? But 
the thing is, is, is we need to extend the same grace to other people that we know that has been extended to us. And if, you know, uh, you've had a great measure of grace extended to you to pull you out a whole lot of things and pull you up, then you need to extend that same amount to the next man. And I think if we start looking at each other in the same light, and uh, though we come from different cultures and different backgrounds and different races and different everything else, we still all need Jesus from the back all the way to the pulpit and from 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 Davidson County all the way to Washington DC we still need Jesus and and uh, I think if we understand that we need him more than he needs us uh, he wants us but we need him so uh, if we can understand that uh, I think we'll be better a better society and, and, and better to each other that's what I think well, thank you very much for, for talking with me today. Well, I appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you a lot. All hell breaks loose. I think what the story of Jesus walking on the water and, you know, maybe more importantly, Peter falling into the water mm-hmm. and Jesus grabbing him makes me think about is the whole idea of fear and how fear... I think drives so much of our world. It it drives the way that we live our lives as individuals. It drives the way that we interact with one another in community. And you know, thinking about the church, I think fear is a a major um, component of how we live together, mm-hmm. how we make decisions, how we even raise our children. You know, is based a lot on. Um, instilling a fear in in certain things, and a, and a lot of that fear is a fear of losing something or another. You know, we talked in in the scripture today about the fact that Peter should have been afraid um, mm-hmm. in this kind of situation. I mean, you're out on a boat and there's a storm, and possibly think you're dead. Yeah, because there there is a dude walking toward you on top of the water. I think I was dead. Yeah, that's I would. I that's when I would just be like. All right, guys, it's been fun. Bye. Not I'm my not, thing. I'm not part of this anymore. This is not my thing, guys. Right. But, you know, to for Peter to make that step in the face of that is is really, I think, a pretty profound thing because that should have been a situation where there was a lot of fear. And, you know, there was fear of losing losing his very life, I think, was probably the the root of that. I've thought about a few of the things that I think that we are afraid of losing, uh, particularly when we talk about the church and when we talk about the the community of faith. There's so much of our talk within the church is about being afraid of losing financially, losing money. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. That it's is bigger than you think it is. Yep. Of losing place, which means not just physical place, but our place in society, uh, fear of losing power. So those are the the three things that I've kind of identified as primary drivers of of fear in the life of the church. So first, let's start talking about money. Because for people like, like, looking at my own life, I've kind of always been afraid of money. Mm -hmm. I don't want to think about it, don't want to talk about it, don't want to manage it, just kind of hope it's there when I need it. And that's certainly not not a healthy way to be. But there's also this fear of, you know, 
keeping the the doors open, and that's again a very it can it's a very rational mm-hmm. kind of fear when we professionalize the church to where the people who in, who are in leadership are depending on a salary, depending on money coming in from the people who are are part of that church community. I think that that causes those leaders to behave differently. Yeah. And I have been on church salaries multiple times. Mm-hmm. You know, the the job that I have now at a nonprofit is largely driven and paid for by by church funds, so I certainly understand this, but it again, I think causes us to act outside of discipleship. Um, kind of mm-hmm. actions sometimes. I've seen a lot of religious leaders who are fear, afraid of ruffling people's feathers and saying things that will offend them because if those people disappear, then their money disappears or people mm-hmm. might withhold their giving. And so this this whole fear of losing money, losing currency in the world is is a very strong force, I would say, in in the life of the church. So the second part of fear that I want to talk about today is the fear of losing your, our place. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a big one uh, for those of us who are in the historically white mainline denominations. You know, there's all, I grew up with all these tales about, well, in 1961, the Presbyterian magazine had a higher circulation than Newsweek, and the stated clerk of the General Assembly was on the cover of Time magazine, and all these things that very much were about institutionalizing who we were, mm-hmm. and they weren't necessarily about following right. Jesus, yeah, <laughs> about stepping out of the boat, but were about our place in the world and mm-hmm. the fact that people knew who we were, knew what we were about. Um, the fact that in the after the World War II, it really became part of, you know, being successful at your job, yeah. being looked at as a good contributor to society to be part of a church and specifically part of a historically white mainline Protestant church. And when our numbers started to dwindle, when our influence in society started to dwindle, there's been a lot of panic, I think, over losing that that place of, of prominence in the in the culture and in society. And again, is that what Jesus calls us to? Right. No. It's you know, it's not about about our place. And I think it's also a fear about being taken the place of something mm-hmm. something else coming in. Yeah. Someone else knowing how to do something better or or that notoriety is not there either. I think is a huge part of of that fear of losing our place in whatever the church has manifested itself in Mm -hmm. and i think on the opposite end of that i just i think there is it's a it's a loss that those other ways of doing things are not seen or heard Mm -hmm. or that this idea of being popular has kind of rooted out other ways of worship or other types of congregations and i even it doesn't just happen in conservative churches it happens in the progressive churches as well mm-hmm. it's getting getting that notoriety and getting that popularity which also plays into the money if there's more people that come in if we can get our name out there if we can get people to connect the big issues with our church 
then more people will come in and then we'll have more money then we can do things and then it just all cycles in together and so exactly. i think it's i think this is just a big cluster of of just everything connected to each other right definitely the so the third category i wanted to talk about is probably one that we don't recognize as much that we don't want to want to see or admit but i think there's a fear of losing power mm-hmm. and you know our Identity, our place in culture, our place in community is largely rooted in the power that we have over certain other people mm-hmm. and other groups of people. Um, you know, it's about domination, dominance, instead of um, being in community with fellow people who bear God's image. So, I mean, this, this obviously comes out in white supremacy, in... Uh, patriarchy and and all these systems that are are linked together and I mean you just have to look at what happens when progress is made or when something happens to challenge uh, Mm -hmm. one of these systems the backlash that's that's inevitable and I think we're we're living through a pretty big backlash right now against the election of the first African-American president here in the United States that that fear that people have of losing their power, of losing uh, the power that they find in their identity, I think is really, really, really powerful in and of itself and can drive people to act in ways that they probably wouldn't identify as being um, behaviors that, that characterize themselves, but they are behaviors that are, are destructive mm-hmm. and that we have to continually uh, sort of do that correcting work, do that work of, of justice and of uh, kind of fighting back against against those things. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's it's also that the idea that you don't have a clue that you do fear losing power because mm-hmm. you, there are people that don't think they have power, but it's so normal to them mm-hmm. right. that it's so hard for some individuals to understand that you do or you have been told you have more power or it's through culture or society that it's been so normalized that you don't even know that you have it. And when it's recognized that you are living your life in fear of losing power that you did not necessarily know you had but are slowly recognizing that you do, I think that's also something that's very powerful for individuals to realize. And it's also really, it's kind of jarring for people to realize that they've been doing something unknowingly. Right. And whether or not, and this, and that's not, and that's not giving any kind of excuse for people, but it is the reality that some people don't realize what power they hold or what privilege they hold. And so it's also that fear of that they necessarily didn't even know they had. And it's giving grace to those people and it's a grace that's not passive, but, but some understanding as well. Yeah. I was in a conversation recently with somebody who he had really, he'd learned about the practice of redlining which is, you know, banks not giving loans to people of color so they couldn't live in certain neighborhoods. And, you know, that's really a huge cause of the segregation that still still exists in our communities and of 
um, communities of color, um, you know, having, you know, so many disadvantages just by, by where they live of, you know, interstate systems being built right through black neighborhoods, um, mm. things like that. And, and this person asked me the question, he said, you know, does, when all that was being done, did I think that those, that the people who were part of that did so knowing what they were doing and did they do it in kind of a sinister way? And I said, well, they probably didn't think a lot about it and they just said, oh, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. That's the way we were taught it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think this work takes a lot of examination that can really be hard mm -hmm. and looking at the ways that we have power over others in ways that we haven't even realized yet and the fear that we have of losing that power and how it influences our behavior, I think, is a, a really important step. So, you know, when, when we've identified what it is that's making us afraid, what, what it is in our world that, that is, you know, causing the storm that we're afraid of, of getting out into, and how we're called to, to let go of that and take some, some concrete steps. I think it's, you know, I've, I've heard that saying that we make the way by walking, you know, mm -hmm. that in order to, to do something, you just have to start, you have to take a first step. Mm -hmm. And it's not about coming up with a solution for everything that's that's wrong with the world. It's not about waving the magic wand and, and making everything better, but it's literally about taking one step at a time. Mm -hmm. and Like Peter. Like Peter. And being willing to put yourself in danger, of danger of bodily harm, danger of you know, losing the things that we're we're so afraid of losing. Yeah. Not worrying about what how people are gonna gonna judge us in these situations, but simply take a step and take those steps in, in discipleship. Soren Kierkegaard, who is a theologian, um, wrote this quote that I really liked. He said, To be joyful out on seventy thousand fathoms of water, many, many miles from all human help. Yes, that is something great. To swim in the shallows in the company of waiters is not the religious. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so easy for us to swim in the shallow end, mm -hmm. too. You know, just to, to wade and not get yourself wet. But that's not what, what Jesus is calling us to do. You know, in this, Jesus is saying, you know, step out of the boat, come to me. And even when our fears get the best of us, and even when we fail, you know, I think there's that that beautiful image of Jesus taking our hand and walking along with us and, mm -hmm. and pulling us up uh, when we need it. Well, it's time to break up, but the good news is we can get back together again next week. Visit our website at breakingchurch.com. There you'll find links to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to comment, share your thoughts, and don't forget to subscribe to Breaking Church on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you've made it this far, leave us a review. But only good reviews, please. Only good ones. So now, step out of the boat into the risky and dangerous task of discipleship. And recognize your fears and get to know them so they can't take control over you. And know that you are not alone. There's a hand to hold when the seas get rough. Go on peace, y'all. We'll see you.